Blog Talk Radio. All right. Good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. This is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. I'll say that one more time. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. So, yeah, you know, this has been a very tense week. Um, I forgot to say the other part. We are black free thinkers, but not the Kanye kind. It's important that you understand that. But um, this has been an intense week on a number of levels. And today's show, I think we're just going to go right into it. I tried this format before in the past, whereas I would go right into the subject matter and then all of the other miscellaneous stuff I would put at the end of the show. But, you know, I don't know. I just like the other format better. So it gives me a chance to kind of warm up and get myself ready to really dive into it. But because of what happened this week, I just think it's important that we get right into the subject matter and talk about, you know, how this is affecting everyone. So today's title, show title, is Being She, Her and the consequences that it brings. And so I know there are some people out there that are probably rolling their eyes because they don't believe in these so-called culture wars or they want to blame it all on culture wars. Instead of looking at the situation and realizing that women are being mistreated, they're being abused, they're being ignored, there are a number of adjectives that I can use in regards to how women are treated especially in this country. So anyway, the notes that I wrote here for you guys, please join us as we discuss Christine Blasey Ford and the Senate hearing for Brett Kavanaugh. There's no, there's so much to unpack that it's difficult to know where to begin. We will also discuss the very obvious display of white male privilege and entitlement. We will also contrast the difference between this hearing and the one for Anita Hill and Clarence Thomas. It's very important to understand the distinct difference between the two. White womanhood and black womanhood are two very different worlds, just like black childhood versus white childhood are very, very different worlds. We'll talk about those differences and why they matter. So, um, yeah, I we've talked about a number of things on this show, and we've pointed things out over the years. And basically, you know, there are some people that have said that they've learned from the different topics we've talked about, and I'm happy to hear about that, right? Um, but exactly what have you learned? And what I mean by that is one of the things, one of the lessons that I know we've taught about on this show is we need for you to take the information and the lessons that you're learning from the show and applying it to real life. So if you learned about feminism and about womanhood and all of these things and and what women have gone through, are you, as a man, and even as a woman, are you checking men 
when they perpetuate this violence on women. And so when I say violence, I'm not always talking about physical violence. You have verbal abuse. You have that passive-aggressive abuse, whereas they will prevent that woman from getting a promotion. You know, a number of things there. And so um, it's just, you know, we want you to take this and we want you to apply it in real life. Apply it in real life. Because, you know, there are dire consequences from all of this for all of us, actually, you know, because it not only has a negative impact on women, it has a negative impact on men, too. You know, I sit back and I watch some of these men as they criticize feminism and saying why, why it's evil. Men benefit from criticism. And you've heard us talk about toxic masculinity. We've talked about male fragility. We've talked about a number of things. And so men do benefit from this. So anyway, I'm going to move forward a little bit, but um, there are a lot of people who were triggered by the testimonies um, this past week. They were triggered by both testimonies and not necessarily in positive ways. And I'll just start out when Dr. Ford started to speak. The first thing that hit me was her voice because she sounded like a 15-year-old girl, young woman. She was able to project and show vulnerability, something that's not afforded to black women, period. So when she was on that stand, and her testimony was very compelling, very credible, I believe her, and I believe every word that came out of her mouth regarding this particular situation and how she was able to, you know, explain how memories are stored, all of that was impressive. All of that was very, very impressive. But she was able to be vulnerable. When when you heard that voice, And if it reminded you of a 15-year-old girl, what that probably did for some of you was it made you want to protect her. It made you want to shield her. It made you want to cover her. And and not only her voice, but her actions. You know, I noticed all of that. And I sat there and I was watching and You know, I saw some pictures afterwards where we saw, you know, one particular um, representative, woman representative, and it was a tear flowing down her cheek. From my understanding that, you know, there were some clerks that were there that were crying, you know, and you could could see that Dr. Ford was reliving that trauma. And one of the first things that she said is that she was absolutely terrified. Imagine you being put on a hot seat there. You have all these cameras, you know, pointed at you. You have all these people looking at you, especially, you know, you had a myriad of angry white men just eyeballing you. 
and they brought they brought in the special prosecutor to essentially cross examine you because they didn't want to come across as being misogynistic, right? When we already know better than that. And so you have all of this happening, and one of her demands was that not as many people and cameras and press would be allowed in. Imagine what would it would have looked like had they allowed everyone who wanted access to be in that room. It would have been even more intimidating, even more terrifying. And so um, just imagine being in her position having your entire life basically on open display, public display. Her and her family, they had to move out of their home due to death threats. She was doxxed. And what doxing means is putting someone's personal information out there. You know, there are people that have been known to do it. It's, it's, it's kind of a common practice for some folks. And I'm not even going to get into the debate as to whether it's ethical or not, but in this particular case, I believe that it was unethical to put her and her family in even graver danger, right? And so I was just sitting there, and I was moved, and I was triggered by a number of things. You know, as far as Brett Kavanaugh is concerned, um, I was not moved by any of his, well, I was moved by his testimony, but moved by anger, moved by sadness, you know, and a number of other adjectives that he used to describe that. You know, and I think back to when Anita Hill was giving her testimony, you know, during the nomination process for Clarence Thomas. And again, Dr. Ford was able to show and to be vulnerable. With Anita Hill, not so much. She had to present grace under fire. She had to remain composed and calm. And what's so, you know, what's so outrageous about all of this is that for women in general, but specifically black women, we have to be soft-spoken, we have to be reserved, we have to measure our words, you know, and no matter how many times they, they punch us and they hit us, we have to take it like a champ. Like, oh, that didn't hurt. You know, we have to take it for the team more times than we should have to. And we have to do all of these things in order to be found credible. And in most cases, not even so much credible and not necessarily believed, just so that we won't have these folks casting aspersions upon us, calling us hysterical and unhinged. And, you know, there's just more pressure that that is applied to women. And so I was talking about Anita Hill, and basically, you know, I started flashing back because when she was testifying, you know, Joe Biden basically stated that we don't run a country based on feelings and emotions. And the point he was trying to make when he said that was that the FBI could gather facts, or so-called facts, and report them back. Yet they still appointed Clarence Thomas. 
But what 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 gets me is you have these people talking about you know not just Joe Biden but Lindsey Graham and Chuck Grassley and the rest of them, those white men that are saying that we don't run a country based on feelings and emotions, but yet they want us to believe them after we have these mass shootings, after we have black and brown people killed with impunity in the streets, they're sending us their thoughts and their prayers. Not passing legislation, not crafting legislation, none of that. They're sending you their thoughts and prayers. But I thought we were a country that couldn't be based and run on feelings and emotions. And this is why I give them a big middle finger. And uh huh. And it's it's disheartening. Especially when you have so called allies. Some of these white moderate progressive liberals that are out here that are, to a certain degree, co-signing with this type of behavior and this type of mindset. And then on the other hand, you want to tell us to, you know, give it some time. It's not time yet. It's not your turn yet. And we're with you, but we need you to do things a certain way. If you don't do it the way that we instruct you to do it, then we're going to punish you. We're going to put you in time out. We're going to send you to the corner until you learn how to behave yourself. So in other words, we're going to punish you. And even if you're an adult, we need for you to give us permission to punish you for not listening to us, for not doing what we told you to do and how we told you to do it. And that's not only just white you know, white people, whether they're liberal or conservative, you have black people that have the same type of attitude, especially with some black men in regards to black women. And so, you know, we talk about, you know, white women and and how they're basically travailing and, and, and they're being abused and mistreated and all of these things. Black women have it even worse. Because not only are we being mistreated and and abused and and disrespected by white men, we're also receiving it from white women and from black men and, unfortunately, from other black women. And so I just found the whole situation disturbing. And they brought in another woman, you know, the special prosecutor, uh, Mitchell, right? And basically, they they turned around and discarded her like she was a used tissue. That's how I felt when she started questioning Kavanaugh. And she was grazing that third rail when she brought up July 1st. Then all of a sudden, Lindsey Graham had to go into his testimony and start the testimony service for Brett Kavanaugh. And if you all noticed when the Democrats were questioning Brett Kavanaugh, did you notice how Brett kept looking at the Republicans, looking at Grassley and and, and um, Graham and all of them, looking at them for help? So he knew 
that he was crumbling. He knew he was in a very precarious position and situation, and he didn't know how to handle it. And so it was interesting because I was talking to Raina, you know, about it because she called me because I didn't get a chance to watch everything on Thursdays. I had other things that I had to do, so I didn't get a chance to watch it through. So Raina was calling me with updates. And she was laughing because I was talking about Brett Kavanaugh. And I was like, that's the thirstiest motherfucker I've ever seen. I've never seen anybody drink that much water, you know, in that particular situation, you know. And I guess he needed to drink the water to produce those fake tears. In most cases, there was no, no tears coming out of his eyes, but just the audacity. And so you had all of that happening. And Mitchell basically was discarded. Her services were no longer needed. She was no longer expedient to their agenda. But that started when she touched on July 1st. And (laughs) this lets me know that Grassley and Graham and all of them know a lot more than what they're telling. And so it goes back to... They apologized to Kavanaugh for having been forced to endure that type of questioning, this type of scrutiny, you know, this type of pressure, all of those things. And they gave testimony service. And so basically when they were questioning Dr. Ford, Grassley would interrupt every few minutes and go, go on these little tirades. And I couldn't understand it, and and why was he allowed to do that? But, I mean, he's the boss. He paid the cost to be the boss, right? But when they were questioning Kavanaugh, it really just turned into a testimony service. And I was sitting there absolutely floored watching it, and I was like, I hope I'm not the only one that's seeing this. And it got progressively worse. And they were all attesting to the goodness and the mercy of Brett Kavanaugh. So before I get into all of that, and I know I probably should speak more about Dr. Ford and Anita Hill and compare or contrast the two. And maybe I'll get to that a little bit later. I'm not sure if I really want to touch that anymore because there are some wonderful think pieces that are out there that goes into great detail and has far more range than what I would be able to express on this show because we have time constraints. So, you know, we'll see what I get back to. And But, you know, there are a number of black women, women of color, who recognize the difference between what was afforded Dr. Ford and what was afforded Dr. Hill. You know, and so, but today we're here to talk about Dr. Ford and why we believe her. And so it goes down to this question here, you know, who's allowed to get angry? I think it's a legitimate question. And so Charles Blow, he had been expressing himself, you know, uh, he talked about how he had been abused. 
you get a chance to watch that video, I would recommend that you do so. And I love the fact that there are more men, especially black men, that are talking about how they had been, you know, sexually assaulted, sexually abused, molested. Um, and, 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 and it's just amazing. And I'm glad that they're feeling comfortable enough to express themselves. There was an article I haven't had a chance to read it, but it was talking about how some prisoners were saying that they have, you know, Me Too stories as well. And we all know that there were some issues, you know, you have prison rape, you have, you know, assault happening in these prison systems. And one thing that I've noticed, you know, most recently over the last several years is that you have people no longer making prison rape jokes, and that's great, you know, because I had to stop making them as well, and, you know, because you're violating someone, and so I'm glad that more people are coming out and telling their stories. You know, I would like to thank Tarana Burke for starting the Me Too movement and putting that out there and, and willing to be that face to basically lead the charge. And so Charles Blow, going back to Charles Blow, he was talking about how being able to express your emotions is a privilege. And that's true. You know, men in general, but especially white men, but particularly middle-upper elite white men are encouraged to show their emotions. See, it's okay to be an angry white male, but that's about but that's about as far as it go. You know, women are not allowed to display that much anger and emotion. You know, and had Anita Hill or Christine Ford show the type of emotion and anger that Brett Kavanaugh had done, they would have been arrested, escorted from the building, their careers would have been destroyed. You know, they would have been the headlines unhinged, you know, just all of that. All of that. You know, there were women who were forced to get get lobotomies because they showed emotion and anger. That's how it used to be. And in some cases, they were given happy pills to kind of slow them down and make them sleepy and, you know, too tired to express those emotions and that anger. So anyway, being able to express your emotions, it really is a privilege. And it's a privilege that's not afforded to women and it's especially not afforded to black people. So, you know, when, when you see men out here expressing their emotions in such a forceful way, and you know, and, and raging and, all of these things, it's called passion. When men do it, it's called passion, right? When women do it, she's unhinged, she's unfit, she needs man, she needs meds, or she needs a man to straighten her out and control her, right? And so, you know, I mean, these I've heard a number of things over the years, and, you know, what I'm saying is, is is not limited to that. Is is quite a bit, you know. Um, it's not quite this simple. It's a little bit more complicated than that. 
But, you know, you have these white men out here that are saying that Brett shouldn't be held accountable for the things that he did in high school, that it's been 36, 30, 36 years, and, and, and you know, he should basically be given a pass. And we all did horrible things as teenagers. And so who are we to judge? And, you know, and, and just all of these things. And, you know, and the way he was trying to pull that boomerang action when he was throwing the questions back at them, asking them, if, you know, um, if they had blacked out when they drank. And just the disrespect that he showed the other senators, but especially the women the Democratic women. And so it's interesting how they want to basically not hold Brett accountable for his actions of when he was, you know, in the high school and college. But you have toddlers, babies, defending themselves before a judge in court. That's after you let them out of their cages. So you're taking these babies from their parents putting them in cages and detention centers, and then taking said child, putting them in a chair with microphones on their head, and a, I'm sorry, with headphones on their head, and a microphone in front of them answering the judge and talking to the judge. Toddlers, most of whom do not speak or understand English, So it's okay for a non-English-speaking toddler to answer before a judge, but a grown man, who was a grown man, he was 17, you want to let him get away and basically say, well, we all did things as teenagers, and that's okay. I don't understand this system and the double standards that are out here. And so, you know, it's like for black people, and especially black women, you know, you can't stand on a block or on the corner and and even look as angry as Brett Kavanaugh did. See, it's okay for him to look look angry and display rage, but if you're a black person, especially a black woman, you're sitting there on the corner and you're mean mugging somebody, and especially a white person, and they call the police, the police are going to come out and question you. And hopefully you won't go to jail or be killed on the spot because they didn't like your answer or you had an attitude or you were being too aggressive, right? You can't be as angry as Brett Kavanaugh and expect to win the U.S. Open, right? At least that's what they told Serena. How dare you express your anger while McEnroe and the rest of them did far worse than that? I'm shocked McEnroe didn't beat the shit out of somebody with that racket. Not that the thought didn't cross his mind, I'm sure. Even he came out supporting Serena. You know, you can't be that angry while smoking a cigarette in your car while being pulled over for a bogus-ass traffic ticket, right? At least that's what they said to Sandra Blonde before they killed her. Another black woman 
police officer mad because she's smoking her cigarette and because she's asking questions and that she didn't seem thrilled to see him. She didn't sing him the song of her people to keep him entertained. But we're supposed to excuse Brett Kavanaugh, right? You can't be this angry when you're a 12-year-old little boy going to the park to play with your toy BB gun. It'll get you killed. Tamir Rice didn't deserve that, and he was not angry. He was a little boy playing with a toy. But you can't be angry, though. You can't be this angry while walking home, you know, being harassed by the police, right? Mike Brown? Can't be angry. But it's okay for rich white boys to assault and rape and harass and disrespect women. But we can't even look that angry. You can't even hint about being that angry. You can't be this angry when you see that they left your child out in the middle of the street for four hours bleeding to death. And I'm talking specifically about Mike Brown's parents. They wouldn't let them or anyone else touch that young man. They left him out there. And I actually think it was more than four hours. Sorry I didn't have that number down. But nobody could touch him. But you can't be angry because they left your child out there to bleed to death. You can't be that angry when you're fighting to breathe due to an illegal chokehold. Right, Eric Garner? Can't fight back so that you can breathe. You can't tell them you can't breathe. You're supposed to be happy that they're calming you down, although you were sitting there calm before they got there and they regularly harassed you and then turned around and ruined the life and harassed the the young man that took the video that showed that they were guilty. But you can't be angry about it, though. Right? You know, huh? You can't be this angry when they close 50 schools in your neighborhood and force you to move out of the community that you've known for several generations because you can no longer afford the property taxes. Right, Rahm Emanuel? But you can't be angry about that. supposed to take it like a champ. Take one for the team, right? 
So, you know, there are so many more examples that I can give you. But if you even hint at being angry or being aggressive or fall fighting back or displaying any type of behavior or emotion that makes white people uncomfortable, now you're a threat and you're a problem. How does that work? But if you're a white male, you're able to get away with this. And again, who's allowed to get angry? You have white male or white men and boys conducting these mass shootings. And then you have the newspapers that are complicit telling the rest of us that, oh, well, wait a minute. They have a mental illness. There's something wrong with them. You know, no, he's just a loner, and, and, and he has all of these problems. He came from a troubled childhood. You know, his family, his parents got divorced or almost got divorced, or they made him eat broccoli when he was a child. Making up all of these excuses for angry white men and boys. Excuses that are not afforded to black people. One black person commits a crime, you you basically cast aspersion or castigate the entire group. And you will not allow black children to be seen as children. You're calling 8, 9, 10, 11, 12-year-olds grown men saying, well, they look like they were about 30 or 40. When you know it's not true, you're looking at eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve year old girls and sexual black girls and sexualizing them. Black children are not allowed to be black children. They are considered grown from day one. Who's allowed to get angry? When you have allies saying, well, don't use that type of language. Oh, it's just oh so oh, unbecoming. However, that white privilege is extended to your favorite black tokens that are out here furthering your agenda and your talking point. And even then, it's limited, but it's still afforded to them to get you closer to your goal and that your black puppets have no idea of your real and true agenda. And so I know someone is saying, well, Kim, can you give us an example? I'll give you an example of one that I saw this week. Um, You have a black megachurch pastor by the name of A.R. Bernard that's out here stomping, basically telling people, view the problems that 
this country is experiencing, he wants you to view them through the lens of classism as opposed to viewing them through the lens of racism. And this is dangerous. And I think I talked about this on the last show. It's dangerous because what it does is is that it basically allows white people off the hook to a certain degree. But it opens the door to a lot of other tautological arguments that totally erases and disregards what black and brown people, but primarily in, in red people and Asian people, yellow people too, but primarily I'm talking about black people. I'm a black people. But it, it totally disregards what we've endured in this country, not only in this country, globally. Now, that's something that I did learn from that black European summer school. I'm trying to look at this from, you know, an African lens, an African diaspora lens, because I don't really want to leave other black people in other regions of the world. I don't want to leave them out of the conversation, but I am talking about something that is happening in America, but not necessarily America exclusively. Okay? And so, you know, when you have people like Brett Kavanaugh, and I know you're like, where did that come from? When you have people like Brett Kavanaugh from that particularly elite circle of people, they're bred, and they're cultivated, and they're fertilized, and they're trained, and they're all of these things. These people, in their perspectives, they are created. And what's happening now in this country is even with the election of 45, White men are losing power, and it feels like it's their last hurrah to hold on to power, and they will try to hold on to that power by any means necessary, even if it means extending, right? Even if it means extending or recreating or continuing to endure colonialism and slavery. And I know some of you are like, well, Kim, wait a minute, what are you talking about? You know, <laughs> no, but basically what they're trying to do is reinstitute or continue colonialism and slavery. That's basically what's happening here. They're losing their power base. And they're doing everything in their power to to keep it and to ensure a future for their children, especially white men. And I can tell you right now that it's only going to get worse especially if you're not standing up and saying anything or doing anything, and you're allowing this to continue. Now, over the years, we've talked about this. We've talked about a number of things. We've talked about a number of issues. And, you know, I hear men saying all the time that they care about women and they're feminists and they're for women and, you know, we got your back, sister, all of that, right? So for some of you, I guess my question is, are you ignoring how patriarchal and misogynistic indoctrination has shaped, controlled, and formed women's responses to the abuse and disrespect? 
And it's not just a question for men. It's a question for women, too. Have you been ignoring how patriarchal and misogynistic indoctrination has shaped, controlled, informed women's responses to the abuse, disrespect, neglect, all of that? Are you ignoring it? And I know some of you are like, well, I never quite thought about it that way. Exactly. Maybe you should. Well, no one's quite posed the question to me in that way, Kim. Well, I'm posing it now. What are you going to do? And so it's interesting, you know, when I read some of the commentary and some of the think pieces, and, you know, I'm out on Twitter and I'm reading, I'm reading, I'm reading, and, you know, I, I see some men out here saying, you know, why aren't the women in the streets? Why aren't they leading armed revolts? And why aren't they just burning it down and tearing it up? And how they don't understand why the women aren't having a shit fit, basically. Let me take it a step further. How do you think black people feel? especially black women. We've shown great restraint in this country. And I've talked about it over the years, about how other blacks within the African diaspora, some of them do not identify as black. So however you identify, that's how you identify. I'm not trying to get into all of that. That is not what I'm here to talk about today. But I know they're watching to see how we're reacting to what's happening with 45 and all of that. Look, 45 is the walking, talking, best example of white supremacy that I've ever seen. Kavanaugh just put white male entitlement on blast. You can't get a better example than his testimony. You can't get a better example of Lindsey Graham and Chuck Grassley and the other white male Republicans up there angrily giving their testimony and testifying, you know, like a testifying service as to the goodness and and the greatness of Brett Kavanaugh. And the rest of us are supposed to sit back and watch it and accept it and go, that's okay. It's okay. No, the fuck it ain't okay. And this is the thing, you know, you got some people out here, and they're like, well, wait a minute, Dr. Ford is a white woman. You know, I can't understand why she's not being extended that white privilege, you know, that damsel in distress. What you need to understand about white people and this is something that took me a long time to understand, but white people don't mind offering up a few sacrificial lambs so that they can win the long game. And so it's interesting because I talk about the hierarchy of whiteness. We've discussed that on this show before and how collectively they see themselves as white, 
But there is a hierarchy within that particular whiteness, right? And so even with that being said, even if it's someone that's at the top of the chain of the whiteness, you know, ladder there, if you will, hierarchy, they don't mind sacrificing a few white people. If it's going to help them win the the war, they'll give up a battle or two here and there. It's strategic. And it's always been that way. But at the end of the day, they're going to make sure that they're the last one standing. And as they watch, watch, you know, the ashes burn and watch the cities, you know, on fire, at the end of the day, as long as it's enough of them to be able to move on and create whatever it is they're trying to create or maintain whatever they're trying to maintain, so be it. And so sometimes we extend white people sympathy or empathy where none is needed, when it's calculated. And I know some of you all are probably sitting over there saying that's, that sounds a bit Machiavellian. Yeah, that's about right. But at the end of the day, they'll still be able to look over, you know, the remains of the marginalized groups that they destroyed in the process. And you have to understand that white dominance has been continues to be, and will continue to be if we allow it, but it's built on slavery, it's built on stealing land and resources, it's built on cheap labor, you know, uh, a mistreated workforce, right? It's built on brainwashing the proletariat, which is the working class people, right? And when I say that, I'm talking about the white working class, and to a certain degree, the black working class. And most importantly, and this is something that I want you all to get through your brain, is also built on keeping the politicians and the religious leaders on their payroll. They are complicit. And they work hand in hand, which is why I bring up people like Kenneth Copeland, Rod Parsley, Pat Robertson, Paula White, and these so-called religious leaders, they're on a payroll, baby. And it's not just them. Hell, you had Ayan Hersey Ali talking about confirmed Kavanaugh. And if you don't believe me, you can look that shit up yourself. She's on the other team. She's on team atheists. And there's a whole bunch of them over there that wants Kavanaugh confirmed, too. I can't talk about religious leaders without talking about atheists and secular and humanist leaders that are just as dangerous and racist and bigoted. They just try to hide it better. And many of them try to hide behind the veil of being a so-called progressive or liberal. 
and some of them are outright conservative. I mean, don't forget we had CPAC atheists, David Silverman and the crew, and I'm going to talk about him at the end. So we'll see. Let me get through this here. Let me see if I can get through this without getting too angry, All right? And, yes, I do get angry, and fuck you who got a problem with it, okay? All right. Oh, I see we have a caller. Let's let's pull them into the conversation here. <laughs> hey, how you doing, sister? I'm doing good. How are you? Just warning, warning new audience here. Yes, how are you, Warren? Well, great, great. I was listening to you. I enjoy your uh, your extensive monologues, and I wanted to get in what I call "That's Just Me." I want to get in "That's Just Me" <laughs> uh, as it relates to the Kavanaugh situation. Now, mm-hmm. the preface said I I don't identify as conservative, Republican, Democrat, liberal. I don't uh, identify with that. But on this issue, I do not believe. Uh, Ford in this And let me tell you why I, 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 I looked at this For what this is This is a this is a white on white struggle About the Supreme Court And the major issue Is abortion And we know when white people Fight each other they play dirty Outright dirt Civil war cost almost 800,000 Lives 95% of them were black with white white people into this fight. Now, women like her have caused a lot of black people to be in jail. A lot of black men have died and lost their lives off just simply saying this person did this and did that to me with no attempt to investigate at all. The woman who was the cause of Emmett Till's death is now saying she lied. So right. as a black as a black person looking at this, see, this is where black women. I've had this conversation the last few days, and black women get all upset. This is where black women are wrong on this. You are not like Ford. You are not of her status. You're not of her class. You're not of her race. You're not even regarded the same way she is. So there's no sisterhood of abuse rally here. We are being used. Our struggle of being used, and, and innocent women who have been abused are being used by our political effort here. And that's simply to stop a particular person from being on the Supreme Court out of fear of the way the court may be. I cannot go along right. with this thing. Wait, wait, I do say, I cannot go along with this thing simply because a woman says she was assaulted, the guy is guilty. I cannot go along with that. Because it can happen to me, it can happen to any other male, and there are black men and black women in jail today off a simple. Remember that saying, don't make a white woman cry? You've heard that before, right? Becky Tears yes. and all that kind of stuff? This is, this is that. The idea that white females are less racist than white males is a flaw of thinking on our part. Oh, and see, I mean, the thing is, is that. You know, I understand exactly what you're saying. We're saying the same thing. We're stating it different ways. Yeah, I think we're saying the same thing. We're saying the same thing, but, but we, we may disagree on who is saying what. What I'm saying is, as mm-hmm. African-American people, we have no business participating 
in a low-down, dirty fight between white people because we're not going to benefit at the end of the day. Number two, if we say that the justice system, criminal justice system, must be fair, we cannot sit back and participate with one group of people. Because I, I, really, I really believe in my heart this is a lie. This is all a lie just to stop a person. And because the person happens to be a Trump nominee, the idea is anything connected to Trump, we must just destroy and eliminate it. And, and well, the Democratic see, this Party is and this is and, yeah. and this is why I disagree. No okay. woman is going to put herself in that position, especially to be scrutinized in the capacity that Dr. Ford is being scrutinized. Now, I agree there are a number of black people in general that have been um, imprisoned due to lies from white people, but in particular white women. And white women have shown that their white privilege is more important than their so-called sisterhood and their feminism um, attachment to black women. I mean, that's a given. We know that. Right, right. We know that. I'm not necessarily arguing that point. Sure, go ahead. Let me check nature on this point about what Dr. Ford wouldn't do sacrifice. White people have networks with each other, and mm-hmm. this woman will always have speaking engagements. She gonna be she is set for life, and you may some people decide to be the sacrificial lamb if they feel the movement is for the greater good. Now we already know that there have been elements of white people who take it upon themselves to take Trump down if it means being, quote-unquote, unethical or illegal within the context of their system. And I believe that there's a cabal of women who said, oh, no, he's going to overturn Roe versus Wade, and these women all have come together and have devised a technique and strategy to stop him. But here's what the scary part. When you stop him and Trump got to nominate somebody else, you're going to be back to square one. And if he nominates this woman from New Orleans who's a Catholic, you see, who probably more than likely will be the one to roll back Roe v. Wade, then that's going to be a backfire on everything that didn't went down. Well, see, it's hard for me to believe because it comes across as a conspiracy theory when you say that it's a cabal don't white of people women do this. that's don't white people, don't white people Don't white people do low-down conspiratorial stuff every day all over the world? Don't they do that? White people and black people. I'm not saying well, that it doesn't people, happen. Black people don't have I'm not saying that people black. don't conspire. No, we don't have the kind of power they have. I'll give you okay, that. So, I give you so, that 100%. So, but what, but one, what, the one point that I do it. want to argue about mm-hmm. is that I don't okay. believe that this is about necessarily Roe versus Wade specifically. I also think this is about segregation, especially school segregation. I think it's more so about that and privatizing the schools as opposed to Roe versus Wade, even though Roe versus Wade factors heavily. I believe the heaviest goes towards um, – the um, resegregation of schools, about redistribution of money towards charter schools, private schools, and religious schools. I really think that that is basically the heaviest factor in all of that. I live in New Orleans. The schools, Mm -hmm. 100% of the schools 
are already privatized. It happened under a democratic administration. Okay, it's already here. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm not necessarily mm-hmm. arguing that point. I'm talking about okay. the right to discriminate, the right to tell a black child you cannot come to this school. Separate it's already people. happening. It, it, look, oh, that happened when the integration came. I know. Look, when integration came in magnet schools, this thing of magnet that mm-hmm. happened way back then. The reality we right. got to accept is after the. Well, we got to accept yeah, as African-American people. Been, you're correct. It's been happening all along, but now it will be on the books as being okay. It's frowned upon, but it's still happening. I get that. I, I think that when you look at what's been happening under a Democratic, whether it's Bill Clinton or Barack Obama, those things mm-hmm. are not in the domain of just the conservative Republican camp. They are white believing that all together. Black people got to realize right. this. We, we're not getting no more. Ain't nothing new coming. Ain't no new legislation coming. Ain't no new Supreme Court. We done got all the goodies that the good whites in all camps have decided we're going to get. So being a yeah. cheerleader, being a cheerleader, for the Republican camp or the Democratic camp is really right. unfortunate on our part. Now, let me say this, too, and I'll, I'll be quiet and continue to listen and take notes. Okay. The, African, <laughs> the African-American demographic, and so we've got to be honest about this, the African-American demographic in the confines of the United States are the most well-off blacks on the face of the earth. We are not as in a hopeless, powerless state as we like to sometimes characterize we are. We have neighborhoods in this country where foreigners can't wait to go to to set up shop because they know the black people's money is going to be the one to give them the American dream. Right now, it doesn't matter if all the Supreme Court justices were conservative, and Roe v. Wade got overturned, and school discrimination is back on the books. You know why? You know what my history teaches me? When we had segregation, mm-hmm. we had the best black teachers. Black kids learned. Black students were able to go to colleges and excel and compete. And when integration came in, and when black kids were able to go to school with white kids, black kids' self-esteem got crushed. There was no more advocate for black children. You started seeing special education programs increase when black kids were put into them. So we have to really have a great grasp of the strength we have had and the most adverse situation that we've been in. And now when we can really run around and do anything we want, at least it seems like it, we're still talking as if we're powerless and hopeless. We, we can't. That's an injustice to truth. And I understand perfectly what you're saying. I agree with quite a bit of that. And you've been listening to this show for a while. I do get on the Democrats' asses, especially these so-called white allies. Yeah. So, you know, I, I try to balance that out as much as I possibly can because you're right. Sometimes the message gets lost in the shuffle that, Again, these people are going to choose their white privilege over us every time. 
And mm-hmm. and and it's just really interesting because when you go back, especially to the civil rights movement, and I've heard people make this argument that white people, white liberals, um, are still angry for being pushed to the back and in some cases kicked out of the civil rights movement. And, you mm-hmm. know, there's some validity to that, right? And, I mean, the right. same thing holds true now with, you know, the social movements that are taking place in this country. But, yes. You know, white women are going to choose their white privilege over, you know, marginalized other other marginalized communities every time. That's a given. But in this, I want to ask, why don't you open up a chat a chat room? You don't open up the chat room so others can come in and kind of type up and, and have a conversation. I used to you open up the chat rooms. <laughs> I used to open up the chat rooms. I used to open up the chat rooms, room but it turned into a nightmare. <laughs> well, see, it turns into a nightmare. Sometimes some of the comments that are in there, and then you have people that are trolls. So we would have like the Nazis and the Four Channers and people like that coming in. Let me give some advice. Let me give some advice. You want that? Mm-hmm. Now, I, I'm a troll. I'm a troll on the conservative shows, and, and you know what? Right. They, they like when I'm there because they get tired. They really get tired of talking to each other, saying the same thing. They want somebody to debate with right. while typing up stuff. So in a sense, you kind of <laughs> because entertain. I mean, internet radio has to be different from conventional radio. So if there's a chat component right. where it can attract even trolls and others, you kind of want that explosive, dynamic uh, things taking place in the chat room because. You know you're being heard, people reacting, so on and so forth. And uh, it gives people a chance to, you know, even if they agree or disagree, they, they can communicate back and forth. I'm going to say this and, and uh, listen. Uh, my perspective on uh, Dr. Ford go, it relates to my experience in the workplace with so-called white women who appear to be progressive and who appear to be victims. I've had those kind of white women are paternalistic. And what do I mean by that? I'm a retired yes, teacher. Patriarchal. I'm, I'm a retired I'm a retired teacher and I taught in the school system. And one thing about white teachers, they feel that they know more than black teachers. And they feel that the black kids need them. And they're very intimidated by effective, dynamic black teachers because they're brainwashed to believe that when they come to all black schools, they're coming there in a in a civilizing mission, and that the black teachers are doing nothing. And I've had run-ins with these so-called self-righteous, liberal, uh, you know, all-around white teachers. They're, they're nothing but racist. When I see complex. Dr. Ford, when I see Dr. Ford, I feel I know where this is coming from. There's a, there's a concern about this Supreme Court. They can't find anything else on this man they got to go way back to high school. Now, how many times do we say we cannot permanently destroy our young people's lives for things they did when they were young, whether it was carjacking, whether it was selling drugs, whether it was robbery, whether it was a shootout? How can we say that and then look at this man when he allegedly did something like this in high school and then be ready to – and let me say this too. When that man spoke, now this is a white man got to me. I was driving the car when I heard his opening statement. I had to damn near look for a Kleenex. And I felt the pain in that man's voice. 
Because what he's saying is, God damn, what, what the hell is going on here? This is a setup, baby. This ain't this ain't real. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. This is not real. What they're, what they're doing is low down and dirty. And as a black man who know that I could be put in jail by stuff by what that woman say, I just can't go along with it. And, 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 and they I say the whole thing. And, look at this. Look I mean, this. I understand you're personalizing. Don't we all personalize these things? Don't women? Oh, I know yes, there's been do. black women in the yes, last few do. days. They're like, there's been black women in the last few days. When I gave the same opinion I'm giving to you, their voices crack up, their eyes start watering. I don't want to hear it. But you know, you know, you know what they can't say when I tell them. I say these are the same kind of white women who just because they say it happened got black people in jail today, men and women. I said you are not her. You are not of her race. You're not of her class. And if a police, a white police officer was to beat you up, shoot you, and call you the B-word and the N-word on camera, people like her would be nowhere to be found. And they, and they can't say nothing because they know it's true. How many articles have I seen where a black woman was in a situation and the article said, where are the progressive white women? How many articles oh, yeah, have I seen where Crickets and tumbleweeds. Uh, and I mean, but it's, it's, I say crickets and tumbleweeds. And the thing is, is that it's not just white women. It's white men, too. And, you know. We know we, that we, to see white men, but see white men get the image. That's a good point. White men get the poster. Their, their faces on the postcard of white supremacy. But we are being convinced right. that the white woman is hanging down here with black females, Hispanic females, and Native American females. And I'm saying, hell no, they're not. These were the women and who I fought agree against with school you. integration. These were the women right. who fought see, against school integration. This is, you're absolutely right. And that's why at the beginning of the show, I talked about Dr. Ford and Dr. Hill, and I did a you know mm-hmm. slight contrast as to the difference between the two and the standards that each group is held up to. You know, Dr. Ford mm-hmm. was able to be vulnerable and to show vulnerability. Mm-hmm. That's a privilege that will never be extended to black women, ever. You know, and whether well, that's why it, it had to be sure was a white woman going to make the claim first. Now, I do believe Bill Cosby is guilty of what he has been convicted of. I do believe that. I'm convinced that he's guilty. I do believe Clarence Thomas is is guilty of what Anita Hill said. See, because that situation was occurring in their professional career when they were working together. But when you got to go way right. back to high school where people's memories ain't clear and all that, see, I'm very suspicious of all that, all that kind of stuff. And this woman fought. I understand, and this was, this but, but, I mean, but we've seen this. I've seen this type of behavior. I've seen this type of behavior and cover-up in black high schools, too. You'll have a black athlete that's accused of whether it's sexual assault or rape or what have you. You will have the coach and the principal trying to cover it up because this is their star athlete that's going to get them to whatever playoffs or what have you. So what I'm saying is that it's not necessarily – um, um, it's not necessarily unbelievable, or or that this happened. It's not Ford. unbelievable that, that it, look. It's not unbelievable right. that this happened. That's not my argument. What I find strange is that this college professor 
who is a psychology professor. Now that, that, that even that even really stood up out to me. Someone who knows the tricks and the trades of psychology and how you play on things to be convincing and so on and so forth. It is clear to me it's, it's strictly political. Let's stop this man at any cost, even if it's a lie. This is clear. It's very open. No, I have to disagree. I don't see any sane. I don't see any sane woman, regardless of color. I don't see, see that's, any that's, sane woman putting herself in that. You, that's I mean, the being between, a woman, being woman, being between, put in that position. It's, it's, I would never do it. That, I would never do but it. But the but the position she's in, sister, is she is set for life. She is a hero. She will have speaking engagements. She will have great honorariums. She is set for life. She ain't got to work no more. But, but, but the thing is, that is part of white privilege. The majority of them are set for life. When they come and they okay. steal the words of black women that are out here speaking, that are living this life, that are out here fighting for the if community, believe, they look. come, they steal our words, they steal our works, and they capitalize on even now with the anti-racist movement. White people are now calling themselves anti-racist, and they're capitalizing off of that. Again, they come over, they steal, and they pillage, and they take it, and they capitalize off of it. That is what they do. When you believe in something, if you believe that Trump is a danger to this country. If you believe that anything Trump upholds is a danger. Now, now remember that book came out, the, uh, the Woodward Burke book, where he was pretty much documenting all these people around Trump who were willing to do things to take him down. Enough of white people out here believe that. And I believe that there are, there are white women who believe that we cannot have Kavanaugh on his court because he's going to be a, a fallback to women's rights. And so, therefore, people who believe in a cause make personal sacrifices for the advancement of that cause. So if Ford is a part of this mindset of women out here who feel this man has to be stopped, yes, she will make a personal decision to lie along with others to say this man did that if it means uh, creating doubt in senators to vote for him on the floor. I believe that. And then so you don't think not, that he would you don't think you don't think that he would lie to get out of these charges? Do you you don't think that he would lie and say that that never think, happened so that he could say I don't think butt? that the people I don't think that the people who selected him did not also do their homework as well. And I, 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 they know that anything Trump touches is going to be highly scrutinized, okay? And I don't believe that this – I'm not saying Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh, obviously, like many college and high school students, mainly white but black too, get drunk and drink. I am not convinced that what this woman has said, she has not convinced me. I haven't seen the evidence. I cannot stand by and believe a woman's claim of sexual assault just because she says it and the man is guilty because it could happen to me. And I, I just can't believe that we as black people and we as black people who are victims of this daily should not 
the accessories or promoters of this kind of behavior against people even we don't even like. Because if you if you're not consistent, we're not because we would not be consistent with what we say is justice and what needs to be done. I'm not gonna say but just because a person this, is but white. looking at this from but looking at this from the perspective of a black woman, most black women have been raped and or sexually assaulted or harassed in some form or another. Or is not a and black woman. not a black woman. Ford is not a black woman. But white women have the white women have been victims of this type of behavior as well. And as a woman knowing that we are not necessarily going to be believed or found credible the majority of the time. You have white male police officers out here that are part of rape um, rape victim units. I know that. I know that. Vicious lying units. But but, but you know what, Sister Ford is not that woman on the street getting raped by that police officer and is afraid to come out. That's not Ford. Okay. Right, she's exactly. It's a different type of privilege. She has. She has. Okay, that. what I'm she saying is, Ford is not privilege. this. The, the the myth that's been created is that Ford is that black woman who may be unemployed, no skills, who may be marginally prostituting, and a white police rape her, and she's scared to come out. That's not Ford. And that that's the kind right. of myth that's being pushed around. You're talking about Daniel Ford's claw. You're talking about Daniel Ford's claw and the women of color that were victimized by him. And that was a horrible situation. Yeah, but it was more than than him all over the country doing it. Oh, yeah, definitely, but I'm just talking about him specifically. Oh, yeah, definitely, but I was just talking about him specifically, about, you know, the type of women that he targeted. And, no, she is not one of those women that he would have targeted, but regardless of all of that, I don't feel that we have the right to take away her voice and to just instantly call her a liar. She has not I just don't presented. see why her, she would her come legal out team, and lie about that. Her legal mm-hmm. team and her team of politicians and that have not presented convincing information to me to find her convincing. That's my Well, now they have the FBI investigating it. So well, the FBI the is FBI only going to it's only on the background check. That's all. It's not even the criminal investigation. It's just going. It's not going to even have recommendations. It's going to say the same thing because everybody already who was interviewed already was interviewed under sworn testimony. So if somebody changed something, then it imperjured themselves. That's not necessarily true. That's not true. They were. It was not. Well, they were not um, interviewed under sworn testimony. Not all of them, because Mark Judge well, absolutely refused. But anyway, I got to get back. I got to get back to okay, what I was well, talking I, about. My, my, last, my last two words. There are there mm-hmm. is white female privilege equally as there is white male privilege. I'll continue to listen. Thank you. You're welcome, Wayne. And um, okay. but the thing is, is that no, you're right about you know white women having certain privileges. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. But thanks for um, thanks for you know chiming in. I appreciate it. I'll continue I really to listen. Do. Okay. Yes, sir. Hold on. So all right, there, guys. You heard you know straight from his mouth. You know Wayne. You know had something to say about that, and. Um, Hey, you have all kinds of opinions out here, but I do understand 
where Wayne is coming from in regards to black people um, defending white folks who would not even spit on you if you were on fire in many cases. And that's true. You know, and so as I was talking, and, and Wayne brought this up a couple of times about how um, white people don't mind offering up a few white people as sacrificial, sacrificial lambs as long as they win the long game, right? And so I know I was talking about um, white dominance, you know, white global dominance, white globalism, and how it had been built on slavery and, you know, theft and, you know, cheap work, all of that. And I believe I left off when I was talking about politicians and religious leaders being on a payroll and I had zeroed in on how there were some secularists, atheists, humanists, all of them folks that are, you know, also on the payroll to a certain extent. And they're also guilty of, you know, many of the things that they accuse religious leaders of. And so, you know, going back to Brett Kavanaugh, you know, he he's angry. He's authoritarian. He's an entitled white male that's used to getting his way. And when he threw that temper tantrum, because all I could see, you know, one of the things that came across to me was he was like, I played the game. I did what I was supposed to do, and I deserve this. This is mine. How dare you take this opportunity and this position away from me? You know, he's worked hard at cheating, stealing lie to get where he is. And the only reason why I'm, I'm framing it that way is look at his history, especially with the lying part about how he didn't know anything about, you know, information that was leaked from the Democrats given to them and how information from that um, investigation with Ken Starr, how it was being leaked to the press from the, you know, the grand jury and all of that. And he's, you know, it's been demonstrated that he's a liar. And so, you know, with Chuck Lindsey and Chuck Grass, I'm sorry, Lindsey Graham and Chuck Grassley, when they were testifying, if you will, um, during their little mini testimonies, um, in their assessment of Brett Kavanaugh, I was just sitting there, and I'm like, you know, are they are they basically putting on a federal register bros before hoes, right? And I know some of you are probably like, oh, Kim, oh, Lord, why did you say that? Where is that coming from? That's basically how I see that. And so it's just the whole situation is just, it's it's outrageous. And we're being subjected, and again, I've stated before how I resent being forced to participate in this fucked up ass reality show. And, you know, one thing that Brother Wayne there said that was absolutely correct, at the end of the day, black people really don't have a dog in this fight. And giving us what they're going to give us. If they're going to give us more, they'll give us more. For some of us, they'll extend some of that white privilege, but it only extends so far as long as you're doing and saying what they want you 
to do and say. You step out of line, and they're going to put you in time out. If not, send you to your room without dinner. Or in certain cases, you know, it's time for you to get kicked out the house. So you have to pay attention to that. But, again, what Brett Kavanaugh did was he displayed all of that white male entitlement. He displayed all of that white male privilege, and he also displayed that fragile masculinity. And so it's important that you guys understand and pay attention and see what's happening there because what, what's being done is 45 in the, in the rich, elite white boys have totally blown the cover off of this charade. And, and a lot of this is being done because of 45. And, and they've proven to many of us, especially black and brown people, things that we've known all along and that we've said all along, that most of them are crooks, frauds, con artists, and pretty much had everything handed to them. And how meritocracy is just a bunch of bullshit, and it's used as a shield to keep marginalized groups at bay and to keep them oppressed. That's what it's been the whole time. But there are some of us that wouldn't believe this. And now, you know, the veil has been lifted. You know, the cover has been snatched off. And you're seeing it in its most raw form. And even now, some of you are saying that you're not seeing, you know, what's, what's right in front of your eyes. You're not hearing what's coming across the airwaves, what's being said. I don't know what else to tell you. When someone shows you who they are, believe them, they're showing you. We've always known this, but they're showing you even more. And so what you're seeing is a reaction, a panicking in, in certain, in, to a certain degree because white, entitled, privileged, authoritarian, patriarchal men are losing their power base. And so they're trying to put the people and institutions in place to ensure that they continue to have power and that subsequent generations of white males will continue to have power. Even if it's taking those that have been othered in the white community, taking them and putting them in these particular institutions and grooming them, they are willing to do that. And we've seen a lot of that happening. So, again, you know, they're doing everything in their power to reinstitute or to continue colonialism and slavery. And like I told you guys earlier, it's only going to get worse. And basically, if Kavanaugh is confirmed, it's going to be the biggest middle finger that these angry white men can give to women, particularly white women. Because how dare you march, lead marches? How dare you get elected to positions reserved for white men? Who do you think you are to speak up and out, especially without permission and without being sufficiently edited by white men? Who the hell do you think you are to be angry? Angry about what? We've given you everything you could possibly want. You're demanding equality? Why? You are equal. We just want dinner at six and sex on demand, forced monogamy. Having our babies, whether you can take care of them, if you, whether you're emotionally, physically, you know, um, ready and able to maintain a household with a bunch of damn kids running around getting on your last damn nerves. How dare you? 
How dare you want abortions? How dare you tell on us? You're going to report me? What the hell is wrong? You don't report me. You want a job. Why? We've given you everything. I give you a budget, and I want to see the grocery receipts when you come home so I can make sure that you didn't have more than 2 or $3 left over because I don't want you to save up enough money so that you can leave me, right? You've got to be able to control you, your spending habits, and such matter, right? Think for yourself. What do you mean, think for yourself? I know what's best for you. What's best for me is best for you. I feed you, bought you a nice house. You got a couple of dresses. You gave me five babies. What do you mean you got to think for yourself? You don't have time to think. What do you mean you want to have your own money? How dare you survive, right? You weren't meant to survive. You were meant, what do they say, the kitchen in the bedroom? And that's how some of these men think. And you can see it in their actions. So there is that, my friends. There is that. Um, There's so much more that I could talk about. There's so much more that I could cover on this. And like I said, you know, there's, there's a lot of range here. It's just not a lot of time. And, um, you know, one of the things that I did want to get to today, and see, my time is pretty damn good. And thanks, for Brother Wayne, there for helping to fill in some of the gap there for me um, regarding, you know, this Kavanaugh and, and Dr. Ford. And as I stated earlier, you know, if you contrast, you know, Dr. Ford and Dr. Hill, you will notice some significant differences. You know, and again, Dr. Ford was allowed to be vulnerable. White women are allowed to be vulnerable. They're allowed to cry those tears. If Dr. Hill would have even thought about crying a tear or let one tear drop drop fall, all hell would have broken loose. So again, she had to, you know, have grace under fire. She had to be composed and calmed and measure her words. Whereas with Dr. Ford, a lot of that is the same. She had to be reserved. She had to measure her words. But she was allowed to cry. She was allowed to be vulnerable. And, you know, again, you know, as as Brother Wayne there was saying, you know, with a lot of these white women, and they've shown us this, they will choose their white privilege over any of the feminism and these other things that they, in the progressiveness and and, and liberalism that many of them profess, they'll choose their white privilege over all of that any day because it benefits them. 
So let's not get it twisted because 53% of white women voted for Donald Trump. And that's a fact. And also another thing with the Donald with 45 and what's happening with that is I'm glad that it's starting to come out because a lot of people have been blaming working class whites, poor whites, and they are a part of the problem. But the people that put 45 over the top are basically upper middle class and wealthy white people. They're the ones that solidified his win. And if you go and you read the post-mortem reports, that data is available and it supports that argument. And also another thing that I want to say, we are not obligated to understand where these alt-writers, these white nationalists, these white supremacists, we're not obligated to understand where they're coming from. We're not obligated to sit there and allow them to, to be platformed in our spaces. We're not, you know, we're not obligated to do any of those things. So for those of you that are like, oh, well, you know, both sides, both sides, whatever, fuck that. Stop it. We need to stop that. So anyway, huh? earlier I mentioned Ayan Hirsi Ali stated that we should confirm Kavanaugh. And um, it just made me think of, um, you know, the secular atheist community and ran across an article talking about David Silverman, who was terminated from American Atheists due to some um, allegations and improprieties regarding uh, sexual claims of some sort, right? Hmm. So inappropriate relationships or inappropriate relations or however you want to uh, express that. So anyway, apparently he's starting some group called Transformative Humanists. And I believe it says it's going to be based in uh, Seattle over there in one of them rainy states over there, right? Seattle, Washington. And if you all don't remember David Silverman, he was the one that was, they called himself a firebrand atheist and basically was chastising anyone that was part of the secular community who did not identify as atheist first and pretty much atheist only. So now he's creating a group called Transformative Humanists. So before I tear into that, you know, this is happening across the board, not only with white people in the secular community, but black and brown people in the community who, you know, identified as being firebrand atheists and, you know, out there at every damn conference that American atheists, you know, had. And 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 now many of them are calling themselves humanists. And, and I'm just sitting back and I'm watching because, baby, it's a scam. And I'm telling you, it's a scam. At the current moment, there is really no money to be made in atheism. Not a lot of money. Not yet. And so what they're doing is trying to continue to be relevant in some way. And now they're embracing the title of humanist. And what they're doing here with some of these people, you know, you've seen 
some of these people opening up their own little groups, you know, and and creating these. Um, I'm trying to figure out the right wording because it's like I know the word I want to use, but I don't necessarily want one specific group to think that I'm attacking them. But basically, they're opening up these houses of secular worship. Okay, I guess that's the best way I can put that. And it's about money. It's about bringing money in. It's about control. It's about power. You know, these people are being chameleons. They are adjusting or transforming to whatever happens to be hot at the moment. Whatever they believe will make them them popular, whatever that, whatever that will allow them to continue to be relevant. And I don't want you guys getting caught up in a shuffle here. They're doing the same thing that a lot of these religious people are doing. And I've been calling it out for years. And so, you know, they're playing footsies with these labels. And they're trying to make inroads into these other communities so that they can exploit them and make money off of it, whether it's about making money, whether it's about finding a new dating pool, a new pool of people that they can screw, a new pool of people that they can screw over, a new pool of people that they can, you know, be dominant over. You need to pay attention to what's happening here. It's about money and control and power. And so... You know, going back and just looking at some of the information that's here, you know, if you go and look up hashtag CPAC atheist, you'll find out a lot of information then. You know, and again, you know, David Silverman was over American atheists when they put that billboard up in black neighborhoods saying slaves obey your slave masters. And remember, I was the one out here complaining about this because I, you know, he sat down with the Jewish community, he sat down with the Muslim community because they put billboards in those two communities. But they sat down with leaders in that community to put the billboards up, but they were, you know, the very least offensive as they can be. They didn't consult with anyone from the black community until afterwards. And the blacks that they consulted with afterwards were handsomely uh, rewarded for going along with that bullshit. And so, again, this is a chameleon act. You know, I think the name of this group is Transformatist Humanists of America. I'm telling you guys, ask questions. Question everyone. Question everything. Because these people, they, child, they, they will use and abuse you and gaslight the shit out of you if you dare contradict them. And if you ask them anything about marginalized communities, whether, you know, or or what marginalized communities are dealing with, whether it's racism, misogyny, transphobia, homophobia, they really don't have too much to say about that. 
and especially the ones that are against social justice, the ones that are against identity politics. See, them, them identifying as firebrand atheists or identifying as conservatives or identifying as progressives or identifying in whatever manner that is, that's okay. That's not identity politics. But me, as a black woman, identifying as black is a no-no, identifying as a woman is a no-no, and all those other titles underneath there. That's identity politics, and it's bad. They basically want you to assimilate and to use them as a fucking guiding post and acclimate and become more like them. That is the ultimate goal. And any attempt to deviate outside of their specific um, agenda is called mission drift. How dare you? And they will attack you. They will shun you. They will, they will have whisper campaigns, write all kind of crazy-ass emails, and then get angry when you find out about it and confront it, or you turn around and send an email too. Like, motherfuckers, you're not the only one that knows how to use email. So it's it's just, it's really interesting. When I'm looking at this, and David Silverman made some kind of stupid-ass comment talking about people that are outgrouped, how they're either sexual predators or assholes. Well, in his case, I guess you're both, allegedly, right? I don't know. This little black girl from the south side of Chicago asking questions. Maybe I'm asking too many questions. I think that's one of the problems that these people over here have with me. And what's interesting is you have literal white supremacists, white nationalists, alt-writers, you know, Nazis in this community. And when we saw it happening, we sent up the red flags. We set off the flares, fireworks, all of that. We were ignored and mocked. And then a few years later, these same people like, oh, did you know this was happening? Like they discovered some shit. And it's getting worse. And it's not just necessarily the atheist community. It's, it's like all of these white male patriarchal institutions, organizations, and communities are being overrun by these alt-writers, these white supremacists, these, these Nazis. And we're sitting back and we're watching all of this in disgust. You know, someone sent me an article about the Church of Satan. I know, guys. You know, but the Church of Satan, how, you know, they are promoting some people who are outright Nazis and fascists. And it's happening in all of these communities. And again, it goes back to what I stated earlier. It's about having this bastion of white male entitled superiority and dominance. And it's happening. And it's happening right in front of your faces. And a long time ago, I just outright stated, I don't understand why you have a lot of blacks trying to force people in these communities to accept them and to give them a seat at the table and to give them a voice. Fuck them! 
and the ones that they do let in, trust me, there is a reason why, and it plays into their agenda. You're not special, motherfucker. Stop thinking that. When they tell you that you're different, they're lying to you. And so what's interesting is, you know, I read a couple of articles talking about this particular group and about a so-called entire section talking about forgiveness. So I'm just sitting back and I'm laughing because it's like, you know, are you appealing to the community to forgive you so that you can come back and make money and continue to appear on Fox News and go to CPAC and you know, get your regular white boy status back, right? Is that what we're talking about? And there are white women over in this community that are doing the same thing. One specific white woman I really do believe is an agent. And you all are fine, falling hook, line, and sinker for this shit. And again, I'm just sitting back and I'm watching it. And, you know, with his particular group, you know, basically he's castigating aspersions on the left. So I guess these are like the progressives, the moderate, liberal white, and he's trying to transform people and basically casting aspersions on the left. And, and I mean, you're both just as bad. And I know some of you are out there like, you can't say we're both equally as bad. I'm not necessarily saying you're both equally as bad. What I'm saying is that you're both fucked up in your own ways. And, of course, some of you are just absolutely outright offended that I would dare, you know, point the finger at you and, and and call you a liar and call you a thief and all of that's exactly what the fuck you've been doing. Look, you need to understand, I'm a black woman. I'm looking at this shit, and I don't necessarily see it from the same lens that you do. And yes, you are just as problematic as they are. But what happens is when you put that progressive or liberal title on yourself, you feel like you are above or beyond reproach. No, you're not. Now, I'm sorry that no one else has had enough guts to stand up and tell you this, but it's true. And so they they got this thing talking about here about how this new group has a whole section on extremism horseshoe. So some type of fucking horseshoe theory. I don't know what the fuck that is. You know, and I probably should read up on it. But you know what? I think my brain is a little bit too precious to read up on this bullshit, but I can't even say that because one of the things that I always talk to you all about is reading so that you can understand what's going on in the minds of these people. And as far as I'm concerned, the mind of these people, it all boils down to money, power, right, money, power, and control. You know, 
And so, you know, for those of you, you know, I'm saying these things, but I am not straddling the fence. Never have. I just think you're all just, you know, you're cut from the same damn cloth to a certain extent. You know, and um, and regarding humanism, you do have religious humanists. You do have Christian humanists that are out there. So I'm just, huh. I'm reading this shit, and I can't believe that this is happening, that this is all taking place. You know, basically, this is a. It says, "Transformative Humanists of America" is a nonprofit educational service which seeks to unify the political left and center of America based on understanding, inclusion, love, and activism. And we seek to make the world a better place by modernized humanism, effective discussion tools, and reality-based morality. So, reality-based morality. Um, you know. Who gets to define morality? What's moral to one person is not necessarily moral to another. So basically he's taking some of the tools that were developed when he was over at AA and bringing it over here to his transformative humanists of America. And it's just, you know, sitting here and I'm reading this. And, you know, Dave Silverman specifically offered no apologies for a lot of the behavior that he participated in and encouraged, but he wants forgiveness, you know. um, So I'm just sitting back and I'm looking at this. You know, people need to be asking more questions, you know, how people were being mistreated, missing money, a whole bunch of shit. And I'm not talking about him specifically. I'm talking about the community as a whole. You know, there were a lot of issues with money being embezzled and stolen and, you know, non-answers to what the hell was going on, you know, and people taking money, getting plastic surgery, all kinds of shit. And I'm talking about the community at large. A lot of things that just aren't right. So, again, I need you guys to pay attention to what's happening and pay attention to what's going on. But, you know, like I said, you have a lot of people over here that call themselves activists. And I'm like, activists how? Going to conferences and giving talks is not activism. Organizing dates in a city where you're visiting to give a talk is not organizing. Pay attention. I need you guys to pay attention and to start asking questions. And so with that, I can't recommend that group. I don't know anything about them. You know, some of you are falling within that particular cult of personality. 
And so because it is Dave Silverman, you're going to follow along and you're going to be a faithful disciple and you're going to espouse all of the words that came out of his mouth because you worship him. That's going to get you in trouble. Especially those of you that have come out of the church and left the church because of his abusive practices. You know better. You know better. Human nature. So with that in mind, I think I'm going to get up out of here. And, you know, I'm trying to remember, you know, a couple of other things that I think I wanted to touch on. I know I wanted to talk, you know, touch on a little bit about Kamala Harris and Cory Booker and how they walked out. And I was going to touch on Flake, Senator Flake, and his insistence that the vote be held for up to a week with the FBI investigation. And for those that are out there, if you if you have information or what have you, you don't have to wait for the FBI to contact you. You can actually go to one of the field offices and give your information there. You know, um, you know, people were advising that if you do that, make sure that you um, uh, that you take the proper protocols and you know the basically cover yourself, you know, if you're going to go in and give a statement. And so we'll see, you know, what the FBI has uncovered. But, you know, I'm just sitting here and I'm looking at Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski and how basically how they've tethered themselves to um, Jeff Flake's request. So look it up. Pay attention, see what's happening, see what's going on, and I think I'm all talked out for this week. We'll see if we can do it again next week. I'm sure to be more information and more exciting events that <laughs> that will prompt me to, you know, have another show and talk about these things. So anyway... This is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. And we're Black Free Thinkers, but not the Kanye Khan. Oh, I also wanted to send a shout-out, a shout-out to a good friend of mine who had their birthday celebration yesterday, and we were invited out to a private dinner. It was beautiful. It was a five-course dinner. They had wine or spirits with every course, and it was it was great. As a matter of fact, I enjoyed the experience so much that I'm thinking that we may actually utilize that particular setting and that service for um, another occasion. So um, it was it was really nice. So thank you for inviting me out. Thank you for, um, you know, for everything. I do appreciate it. So happy birthday, girl. And we will talk to you guys soon.
All right, again, I'm Kim. This is Black Free Thinkers. We're here to challenge you to live and think for yourself, not convert you. Have a good Sunday, everybody. Take care. <laughs>